Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another edition of AUHSD Future Talks. I'm your host, Superintendent Michael Matsuda, Superintendent of the Anaheim Union High School District. And as our 7,000-plus podcast listeners know, this show is all about the future of education from the perspective not only of our students, our stakeholders, but also we are very privileged to have uh, connected to some national leaders on many of these important, important subjects. And our guest today is none other than Robert Sherman, uh, who has been involved with many, many foundations and as a professor and also uh, 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 just an advisor to many districts and especially in uh, the East Coast, New York City. So, Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. So we always start with a little bit about your journey, who you are, and, uh, you know, what is your driver in life? Well, that's a, uh, it is a great place to start, and thank you. Um, I started professional life as a PhD clinical psychologist and uh, working in impoverished communities. I worked in Newark, New Jersey in the late uh, 1980s when Newark was a really tough place. And what I became convinced of was that it was too slow to work one person at a time. I'd been trained to be a one-on-one therapist, but it was too slow for the problems that I saw. So I converted my career and I've actually had a fairly twisted career path with the, um, the good conclusion that you actually can meaningfully alter and shift your trajectory to meet your needs and how the world is changing. And I think my career is an example of that. I worked for eight years in the New York City government, uh, working at the New York City Commission on Human Rights and in the mayor's office. But the largest chunk of my career certainly recently was 20 some odd years in the foundation world, philanthropic foundation. Uh, I had a chance to work for two family foundations, helping them give away the vast fortunes that they had amassed. And um, my focus really uh, in both of those jobs was youth development, education, anchored in social and emotional learning, but really looking at what social and emotional learning relates to. So the development of identity, the ability to have meaningful relationships, the development of purpose, many of the same things that you are really focused on in Anaheim uh, for your students uh, has been the subject matter that has engaged me. I think I am really interested specifically in adolescence, in middle school and high school, because I think it's the second great chance that we get to help people uh, become all that they can be and help our communities become all that they can be. Um, It's, you know, the door swings open in early childhood when development is beginning. But when adolescence starts, we get a second chance at it, a second chance at really looking at the shape of our lives and our objectives. So those are the things that have really captivated me and that have been at the center of my career. You know, um, I 
there are so many entry points to this discussion, Robert, but certainly one of the entry points is the sense of belongingness that uh, increasingly these isolated teenage boys are experiencing. I mean, they're, they're, they're outcasts, right? And in fact, if we look at the, uh, the horrific shootings in Texas and New York, um, you know, these were 18-year-old boys that uh, were isolated, and uh, uh, that is a concern with those of us in education in terms of their adolescent development and sense of isolation and anger turned against uh, others. Can you, what is, what is your sort of take on this uh, growing trend, which I think the entire country is very, very concerned about? Yeah, I, I think that uh, the level and the number of cases of shocking violence has just become so overwhelmingly large. Uh, we have to remember how important it is for us personally to take each one of these shootings seriously and to understand that in another circumstance, it's us or it's our children or it's in our community and not become dulled to it. Now, wh why is it that so many young men are isolated and um, and so angry and so disconnected. Uh, you mentioned belonging, and I think belonging is one of the major um, objectives, major goals of schools to really help every member of the community. And by that, I mean staff as well as students mm. feel that they have a meaningful and rightful place, that they have the support of other human beings who can lift them up and um, watch their backs and help them grow and help them achieve purposes. Now, everybody's got a different interpersonal style and some people are more loners and others are not. However, I think what we've seen in the, in the shootings is uh, people who really are, have been known to be quite disconnected making it into high school. And I think that schools and community agencies and faith communities, we have to wake up to really be alert to provide the levels of care and connection that these young men need before, it, before something happens to act quickly. Everybody needs friends. All growing up adolescents need um, adults who have their backs and who are going to, um, who are going to help them out. And I think we need to actually discuss this more with parents who might see their isolated children and just sort of hope that it's going to resolve that, you know, it's a phase and they'll grow out of it. But to really help parents see that if their children are alone and isolated and angry and involved um, in social media that is really not about connection, um, that they have to take a good look and try and get the assistance and connection that they need. Uh, belonging is actually, has been proven to be essential to not only uh, life success generally, but certainly to school success. 
and that when you belong, usually it means you show up, you're attending, you're there, you have a chance to learn. When you don't belong, showing up and meaningfully involving yourself is less likely to uh, actually happen. Right. So belonging is the key. Yeah, belonging is the key. So I know that you've done a lot of work on development of student voice. What is the connection between that and what is that? And what it, how is that connected to build a sense of belonging? Yeah, I, I think they are connected. You have to work to draw the lines, but they are connected. Student voice is, uh, I mean, there are three, we could really put three things up. One would be belonging, another would be voice, and the third would be agency. So, and they're all connected. So student voice is about being able to understand what's important to you and express it. Express it in in a way that it might uh, come to have a meaning to somebody else. And there are lots of examples of voice, but I think that voice really is about being able to put forward to others what is important to the self and what's meaningful. You can have voice about an academic topic. You might have voice about your own lived experience and challenges faced by your family, um, either historically or in the moment. Uh, Voice might be about something very specific, uh, traumatic or wonderful uh, that happened to you. And then agency is really about taking voice, taking what's important, taking the need to express it and finding ways to actually do something about it. So I think that raising your voice is taking an action. I don't want to dismiss that at all. I I think it is an action to raise your voice. Now, how does all of this relate to belonging? Um, You have to actually want to communicate to other people who are in your world and in your community. If you belong, then it's sort of natural to want to communicate and take action with the people who are in your world. We certainly see this in schools. The, uh, you know, the, the other side to the much dreaded topic of peer pressure is the wonderful connection that peers actually provide to offer opportunities for expression, identity development in the peer group, All of these things actually are amplified and made more important if there's a sense of community and belonging uh, undergirding them. Without belonging, raising your voice, you're sort of a little bit in the wilderness. So I, I think they all really relate quite a bit to one another. And we see it actively in adolescence uh, every day. So perhaps with some of these uh, boys who um, sense of isolation morphed into uh, violence, perhaps if they had a voice earlier in their lives, it may have not gone that trajectory. It might have been uh, a different different path that, that they could have taken. Is that what you're suggesting? I, I think yes. And if they had belonged more, if they had had better um better relationships. The, uh, the Search Institute has a really interesting set of ideas 
uh, that they call developmental relationships. And they're factors that um, really make a, a young person and an adult in a relationship with one another meaningful and purposeful. And they're things like um, expressing care and sharing power and opening up the world. We all need to actually have people who do those things for us, who show us that we can actually have more power and agency in our own lives, who understand that maybe the adult world or the wider world outside just the family or school um, is it, to open that to a young person is a tremendous gift. I know Anaheim works really hard to build strong relationships between people outside of the school context who really might be meaningful mentors, who might be career guides, who might actually, who might be coaches, who might be mentors. There are any number of ways that this happened. I, I, I think with the shooters, there's been a failure of those things to happen, that there were not developmental relationships for whatever reason mm -hmm. in, that per, in that person's um, life. Now, people do belong and unite um, sometimes around also some dangerous things. And so the, the shooting that, uh, of an isolated shooter is one example, but I think that we have other examples recently of people coming together armed, ready for conflict, that is sort of about a group uh, identity. And clearly there's belonging there, but something has misfired. I raise that to say, these are complicated ideas, not simple ideas. Well, you, you touched upon earlier this development of friendships, and you're talking about healthy friendships. Why is it that um, schools focus on friendships in elementary school, but not so much in middle and high school, right? There's a lot of emphasis on developing friendships with uh, you know, a, an elementary school kid, but somehow we seem to have lost our way trying to promote healthy friendships. Yeah, I, I would actually revise your statement and say that friendships are a really good focus in pre-K, kindergarten, and maybe first grade, and that after those grades, the uh, pressure to perform academically in a lot of schools takes over. And we see that persist certainly uh, through high school. Um, I, I just think it's a mistaken understanding of youth development and uh, how friendships form and when and, and how. And again, as I said, everything in adolescence opens up again. We have a whole new set of friendship development needs that explode on the early adolescent. And we see this in the, in the wild attachment to peer groups in, uh, in early adolescence. I, I think that we have in our education system uh, in this country really come to want to show academic achievement as the most important factor. And that means grades and the ability to uh, regurgitate information in test contexts. 
and friendship actually recedes. Now, the research actually shows that when you pay attention to people's emotional and developmental needs, they absorb better academically. It's like a dirty secret in education that if you actually spend the effort and the time to focus on relationships, you get further academically. But much of America's educators and leaders uh, really do not have that point of view. That's the core teaching of social and emotional learning, that when people are in a, a place of ripening self-awareness, self-understanding, self-management, and relationship skills, they actually function better. They so do you, think, function better. do you think that kindness and compassion can be taught? Yes, I do. Uh, and I think that there are um, a number of different ways to approach it. I think that um, we have moved away in our country from really, and in education, this is even controversial in some places, we've moved away from the importance of lived experience and talking about your lived experience as a major way that you might make contact with other people who could hear what your experience has been and feel empathy for you, feel that they understand you, feel they want to know you better. Um, this is, again, what social and emotional learning is about, trying to take your experience that you can express and having that be a general practice. So we get to know one another. We get to know everyone uh, who's in our classroom. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to be your best friend. But yes, I think that empathy and compassion and the kindness that flows from those things can surely be taught and focused on. So, you know, because I think one of the, the yoke that's holding this back is this emphasis on testing and writing, argumentative writing, right, especially in high school. So, um, and the narrative structure is is not um, really um, tested, right? It's more this argumentative, what they call college-going writing. How can we um, move the needle back to where it should, I mean, I totally am in agreement with what you're saying, but so many educators are saying, well, we can't, we can't go that route because we, we have these drivers that have been imposed on us. Well, I, I, I'm going to extend what I was just talking about a level, uh, a level further. I think that a lot of the assignment um, about what gets written are topics selected by somebody else. And one of the great opportunities that we have is to follow a student's individual interests. What do you care about, Mike? What would you like to know more about? If you're gonna do some persuasive writing, find out what it is that would light you up and what do you need to do to learn enough to tell to tell somebody about that and them receiving it they will actually get and understand that this is not just a random topic that you were assigned but it actually reflects your interest so 
there, there's actually a name for this in education, and it's called learner-centered education. And it is a growing field, uh, a, gr a growing uh, an understanding that people actually will be more motivated to learn when they have an opportunity, at least some of the time, to focus on what they care about, as opposed to what's assigned to them. And that's like, and that's like, just to make the point, I'm sorry, Mike, just, and that's what lived experience and lifting up lived experience is about. That, uh, they're really connected. I love that. So what is the connection between that and uh, social emotional learning and sort of emotional well-being? I think that uh, social and emotional learning really is about understanding yourself, having some ideas about how you would manage your own emotional life, that if you're a person who experiences anger, do you have strategies to make that more manageable in your relationships? It's about um, social awareness and relationship skills. So all of these, all of these um, elements are really crucial to how it is that you put yourself forward in the, in the world, what you're interested in, how you express, when you express. Um, I, I think that these are critical to um, development of, of all kinds. And I would say, I mean, there are, I, I don't mean to use sort of uh, fancy education language, but another very important word here is metacognition. Mm -hmm. And metacognition is thinking about your thinking. Mm -hmm. Do you develop the skills to know what messes you up? What keeps you going? What do you stumble over? Yes. Where, wh when you get frustrated, what are your techniques? So understanding who you are as a learner is an important part of becoming self-aware and becoming self-managed. Um, in the context of relationships, uh, obviously, this is crucially important. Wow. There's you, you, I, so you're, you're hearing from me, all learning is social and emotional. I, I do not see a distinction between something that you would call thinking and, what, and the social and emotional uh, parts of it. We are an integrated human being. When we have a thought, usually there's some kind of emotion attached to it. When we have an emotion, there's some kind of thinking attached to it. These are joined at the hip. And I think that education has made a mistake or in the, in the, in the past and still in some places by trying to see that, trying to imagine that thinking can be isolated just on its own and that we wouldn't have emotion. This, this whole idea of trying to limit conversations that in, in, school, in schools that make people uncomfortable. And this is in, in a lot of legislation in many states and districts across the land. The idea that, that you could actually have, have a world where there wouldn't, where you could prevent uncomfortable conversations. I never met a person who didn't find something uncomfortable some of the time. It's part of, of human nature and being human. The question is, 
what are your skills to deal with it? Not, is it going to happen? It's going to happen. What are your skills for dealing with it? And I think that's where uh, schools struggle because they are sort of um, afraid to, uh, to address some of those uncomfortable places, right? So in kids, I, 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 as you know, I interview a lot of young people too, and they, they, they wish they had more, the schools did a better job of giving them language, right, to, to express themselves in these sort of uncomfortable moments in life. And they, I would totally agree with you that uh, these types of uh, places need and shared experiences, life experiences, need to happen in the schools where students can feel affirmed and safe, right? And that's how you build the social emotional peace. I agree. Safe enough to feel uncomfortable yeah. and, it's, and it's okay. <clears throat> everyone's going to survive, so, even the teacher. So what message in the closing minute or so that we have, Robert, what message do you have to our young people who listen in to this podcast? My message is feel your feelings, explore your friendships, uh, bring your passions forward for others to see and feel and understand that uh, life is not a straight line. It's a winding road. And you do not have to have everything fully figured out in order to take the next steps um, and to rely on your rely on your relationships to keep you afloat, because that's what you're going to need. You know, that, that's not only words of wisdom for our students, but also for all of us adults on behalf of our district, 30,000 students and their families and our 1,200 teachers. Robert, thank you for this conversation. Really have appreciated it. It flew by, Michael. The time absolutely flew by. Thank you so much for having me.